From the Transverse Network, this is The Transgender Show, an interview program about gender discovery and acceptance. I'm your host, Emily. This week on the show is Nia, an HR director, author, and mom of five from Iowa. When did you first realize you were different? What were those early signs for you? I Hindsight is definitely 2020, and I think that um, looking back on things growing up, I didn't have one of these stories where, you know, I was five and, and pressing my parents on my gender. I, I grew up, I, I grew up in, it felt like what a genderless world until I hit puberty. You know, I, I did do things like play little league and, you know, some of these more traditionally masculine, um, things, but it didn't feel male or female to me, um, until I hit puberty. Um, about 12, 13, I started to realize that I wasn't going to have the body that I thought I might have, which I, logically I knew I wouldn't have the body that I was thinking I might have and would want. And um, But it wasn't until then that I really realized that uh, I was different. And, you know, it was at that point that I really also locked most of that away um, because I grew up in a really conservative, uh, evangelical religious environment. And I think looking back for my own safety, I locked, I just locked it away. And yeah, I, I didn't from 13 to about 35. So a good long time. I didn't do much exploring. Um, obviously that was there. There were many ways that I thought about expressing that, but I just really didn't. Um, and it wasn't until Oh, it was probably 34. I was probably about four years ago that I really said to my wife, um, who I've been married to for 16 years, um, this is something that I have to explore further. And so, yeah, I started to express myself a little bit differently at that point and went to therapy around some of this stuff as well and um, kind of took off from there. And so when did you finally realize that what you were was transgender? When did you start to identify as that? Yeah, it was, it was about two years ago. Um, you know, I had gone through some therapy and, you know, talking to the therapist about all sorts of things and, uh, you know, can I, is this cross-dressing? Can I be happy with this expression of gender and not, you know, do anything else? And, um, we're, we're talking, about all sorts of things. Um, and most of it centered for me around gender expression, um, mm-hmm. and uh, essentially cross-dressing. Uh, and, uh, at one point we had a session and she had me do, a an exercise of just like write out how your life would be from now until death had, if you don't change anything and then write out how it would be from now until death. If you, if you, do change something. And it was that moment that I realized, oh, I can't, I can't do this for the rest of my life. I cannot do what I'm doing for the rest of my life. Um, it will, it will, it will crush me. Um, Mm -hmm. and so I, that night I went home and I said to my wife, um, I'm transgender. And, you know, I, I struggled with how to do that because like I said, we've been married for a long time and I really didn't want to mess it up. Mm-hmm. And so I, I, on the drive home, was trying to think about how I could couch that in a way where I could kind of test the waters and see how friendly she would be towards something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I realized, you know, in that kind of processing, that it would be disingenuous for me to like 
only come out if she was supportive. Um, because ultimately, um, I just, I I didn't want to manipulate the situation at all. So I ended up just coming home and straight away just saying, you know, um, after our kids went to bed, because, you know, five kids, you've got to put the kids to bed before you have this kind of conversation. <laughs> so um, I said, I'm transgender. And the first thing out of her mouth was, I know, which was uh, unexpected. Yeah, wow. So uh, what what had clued her in at that point? You know, so the probably three or two or three years prior, um, again, had this conversation in earnest about exploring my gender more. And, you know, went through, you know, from basically zero to 60 in terms of expression very quickly. And, you know, just trying different things on and um, uh, never going out of the house, um, dressed differently, but always, uh, you know, doing it at home, usually when she was gone. So I didn't, you know, take up our time together. And so she saw all of that. She's Mm -hmm. doing her own processing around that. And, you know, I think realizing at the same time that that what was happening was more than just dress and expression. Um, whereas I'm struggling, you know, thinking if this is all, if, if I can be happy like this, then great. You know, I, I'm super happy <laughs> to do that. But I just couldn't get myself there to, to go beyond that at that point. And she, I think she could see it before I could. Hmm. So how did some of those conversations go? What did you guys talk about as you were expressing that, as you were trying to discover what this was? We had, the first conversation we had was in September of 2016, right before the election. And we had this conversation where we, it was my birthday, and she, she kind of knew of this desire to be more feminine and express myself more feminine. And so she got me a very sweet birthday present, which was just like some undershirts and they were just very they were men's but they were very soft and very flowy and just like she she was trying she was seeing me you know and Mm -hmm. uh, I was just had just enough to drink that I was real rude about the whole thing and I said well you should see obviously that this is not enough for me (laughs) and so poor woman like I feel so bad about it because I was so rude and she was really trying to encourage me and be nice. And um, I was like, basically, this is not enough. I want more than this. And so we had this conversation about, okay, I need to, I need to really take this to a different level and buy some different clothes and different things. And so probably a month later, we went on vacation and I bought a whole outfit and we ended up going out to a drag club um, in Milwaukee. And that was the first time we had gone out together. um, And first time I had really gone out at all. And so that was a, a zero to 60 in like a month, probably. And so it was, I think for her, you know, she expressed, and I, I don't want to tell her story, but she expressed that that was scary. And, you know, even going out with me like that in a town that wasn't ours was scary. And um, so, you know, that was the really the one and only time we went out together um, while I was uh, ex- expressed feminine and, uh, as a woman. And, um, for the next couple of years, um, I just, I just, you know, try that on at home. Um, and I finally got to a point where I, I kind of was pushing, I need to, the next step really feels like going out and being seen and, and seeing if that makes a difference in mm-hmm. my, uh, dysphoria and some of the things I was feeling. And 
before we even got there and started doing some of that, um, I came to that realization that I was transgender. And so I got on hormones before I even, you know, started doing any, anything else. And so those conversations are hard, um, you know, to get on hormones, you know, everything that comes after that. Um, And they they really were just, just that, just conversations about, for me, I, my philosophy is kind of next step. Um, And I know, you know, I know a lot of, uh, trans folks who will list out all the stuff that they want to do and the timeline that they want to do it and they just knock it out. And for me, it was more of, I'm going to do the next thing that I feel I need to do. And if that satisfies, you know, this, this need in me, then I'll, I'll stop (laughs) because let's be honest, nobody wants to turn their life upside down. (laughs) You know, like we don't want to be the people whose society marginalized, like it's not a desirable thing. So, um, I just kept kind of doing the next thing and, you know, hormones was first, uh, the first conversation that we had. Well, it's kind of wonderful that she was, she was able to be on board with it. We've had previous guests before that have talked about that kind of first time that they go out together. And, um, it's, it was like the last straw for the, for the significant other, for the spouse. Um, because it's just, it's, it's too much for them. It's amazing that she was able to, to come along with you, did it seem like she was kind of on on board with with the steps as as they went along like it wasn't too much of a stretch for her to begin with yeah i honestly think that you know going out is a huge thing and i think if i would have pushed honestly i did push it i pushed it and i said i need to do this and she kept telling me i'm not comfortable after that first time Uh you know it made her comfortable and she said i'm not comfortable and so we talked and talked and and I think there was just a mutual understanding of like, especially after I came out as trans to her, there was a mutual understanding of, you know, I need this, but I'm not going to push you, you know, I'm going to let you, I'm, you know, I'm saying this to her, I'm going to let you kind of help me with this. Um, And then she's also saying to me, I'm not going to hold you back from what you need. So like she could see when I got to a point where I really needed something and it really did not involve going out after that first time we got to hormones. Um, and that conversation was fairly easy. It was just, a you know, yeah, do it. We can see how it, how it goes. And my thought, my thought was I'll do it. You know, I'm, <laughs> I'm one of these optimistic people. I'll do it. It'll work great, which it did. It felt great. And maybe that's all I need. And then, you know, we don't have to turn our life upside down. Mm-hmm. And clearly that wasn't the case. <laughs> so we had that conversation and, you know, we had a, an interesting conversation about eyebrows and that's kind of a good microcosm of all of these conversations because okay, um, I I was really unsatisfied with my eyebrows and I kept saying, I, I just am going to go get them waxed. Like it's not a big deal to go get them waxed. And um, she was like, that is that is a big part of who you are to me is your eyes and your eyebrows and everything that's happening on your face. And mm. I understood that. And so I didn't push. And I finally got to a point where I said, I need to do this for, for my dysphoria. And she was like, yeah, you know, do it. And so that that's kind of been the give and take that we've had throughout this. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, it's almost worked like that about every time there's been a decision point. 
That makes a lot of sense. Letting her kind of push back when she's not ready for something and then revisiting it later and checking in with her. And it seems like it was great for her. She, that gave her the time to get used to that idea, get on board and, and to be behind you and support you. Yeah. And I think, you know, there are certain things too. Um, she would say that the eyebrow thing was like the thing that she knew was you know, I'm going to transition <laughs> all the way, um, which is interesting. But, you know, there are things that I think she felt in her too, that if she could prolong, you know, maybe, maybe this wouldn't happen. And, and I'm not, I, I'm not, don't hear me say that she didn't want it to happen um, because she was, she has been 100% supportive. Uh, but obviously this is a huge change for somebody, you know, we've, again, we've been married, we've been dating for, we've been together for 21 years. Mm-hmm. Um, so big change obviously yeah, yeah. and your high school sweethearts right we were yeah i started dating when we were sophomore or juniors in high school so and best friends since seventh grade so mm. you know just been together a long time and so it's something that um you know change is hard <laughs> no matter what so yeah yeah well it's, it's like you said that you know n- our no no spouse would want this i don't think um as as an outcome but you know finding those that are supportive of it and able to come along and help you throughout the whole thing that's pretty rare and wonderful yeah and she i mean she's so she's such an amazing person and uh, you know we um you mentioned our website love in the face at the beginning and we do mentoring and stuff and she she talks we'll talk to uh spouses um we both talked family members and stuff but she just has a really unique perspective because you know if she's talking to a spouse of someone who's coming out you know she would never say you need to stay with this person (laughs) you know she would help them understand why maybe they're upset and um why they're uncomfortable with it but she would never say you have to stay with this person so Mm -hmm. um it's just a unique perspective i think she has yeah, it's a it's a wonderful perspective to have in within the community to, you know, because one of the, the important things is we don't understand enough of it ourselves when we when we need to come out. Um, but that how to have that conversation and like you were you were saying how to couch the conversation, how to soften the blow, how to work it in all of those those things. And so having the other perspective is is wonderful. Let's take a, a moment then to go ahead and, and talk about love in the face in a little bit more depth since you brought it up and it seems to be pertinent kind of to what we're talking about at the moment. Yeah. Um, what is the, the overview of the site and why did you both decide that this was something you wanted to do? Yeah, so it's a site for uh, support for um, started, you know, as for trans folks and um, also LGBTQ folks, but mostly trans individuals. And we offer a bunch of stuff uh, free to the the community, um, including mentoring to trans people and their families and their spouses. We also do ceremonies. So we do wedding ceremonies, um, name change ceremonies, uh, rename, name claiming ceremonies, uh, and uh, release ceremonies, kind of release of that, you know, that other person that you might have, might be in need of release. Um, so a lot of different ceremonies. And I think the reason why we put it together, um, we, we also do speaking. So we speak to, uh, we do consulting with churches and speak to churches and then also 
um, to businesses because I'm an HR director for my profession. And she is, uh, was our uh, preaching teacher uh, at our last church. So she gave sermons every other week. So we have uh, a pretty good background in uh, uh, the religion of Christianity, as well as kind of the business landscape for these types of issues. Mm-hmm. And our, our main goal of starting this, I think our own experience um, in the church and coming out was not uh, excellent. Um, and, and my experience um, with my family was subpar as well. And so I think our goal, we, we had people starting to reach out to us about um, their kids and um, I'm in education. So I, I got some different requests about um, how do we handle this specific instance? Um, and I think we just wanted to have something there for people when they reached out and then really trying to offer this stuff free to, to most people, most uh, LGBTQ folks, and, um, you know, just give back from what we've learned in the last five years and uh, just using our expertise to help other people. Mm-hmm. So you said that you have gotten contact from families of uh, transgender youth? Yeah, so um, because I'm an HR director, um, you know, I'm, I'm fairly visible in my company, and um, a lot of times it's just people saying, hey, I have a friend whose kid just came out and they really don't know what to do. Would you mind talking to them? And uh, so, I, you know, absolutely, no problem. And so we have those conversations about um, a lot of different things. And uh, for the most part, parents who are willing to reach out are very supportive already. They just feel like they need help. Um, and, you know, those kind of things are easy. When parents are supportive, it's it's super easy to say, you know, just love on your kid and be there for them. And um, that's all they need. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and here are some, you know, advocacy things we can talk about in the school setting or whatever. And uh, so, yeah, we, we try to help whatever is needed um, and, and just go from there. Do you have any numbers at this point on how many people you've helped? I, you know, we're not keeping great track of that stuff. Um, and because we're not, you know, it's all free. Um, I, I couldn't tell you, honestly. Okay. Uh, what is involved in the name change ceremony? What do you guys do for those? So I, I've gone through that myself. Um, and um, we just did it recently. Um, and it involved a lot of different facets. We kind of did a name change and a release at the same time. And so the name change itself, you know, we just basically do a Zoom meeting with somebody um, and we find out what you want um, and talk through kind of your background and uh, what elements you might want in that ceremony. Mm-hmm. Um, for, for us, you know, we have some land out here that we're able to do like some actual burning, which is, which is kind of nice. Mm-hmm. Um, and so for local people, we definitely, before COVID, you know, we could do that kind of stuff. Uh, but yeah, it's basically custom to what you are thinking about. And um, it's not like you jump on with us and we just ask you to figure it out. We'll help you figure out what you want if you don't know too. And how long have you been doing the site? It's not been that long, um, just before COVID started. Um, so really not, not long. Hmm. But you haven't found that you've been overwhelmed in any way by... Request. No, not yet. And, you know, we have some pretty strict boundaries, my wife and I do, as far as how many people will talk to at the same time and that sort of thing. And so our, our hope is if we got to the point where we were 
um, overwhelmed and hitting those boundaries, we would find other uh, mentors and other people to come alongside to do this kind of stuff as well. Because I think a lot of people in the community, like yourself with this show, you know, you want to give back. And so mm-hmm. um, there are a lot of people who, who want to do that. And I think that would be a, a vision down the road of, of expanding something like this. Yeah, that's pretty wonderful. And I, I, I really hope that it, it, it does grow. It sounds like it's, you're on a great track and you already offer so much. And you do, so you've mentioned the you know, local people, you are helping anybody that reaches out to you online, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yep. And obviously the mentor sessions are super easy via Zoom. Um, I think everybody's used to the teleconference and stuff at this point. So, yeah. um, you know, those are, those are easy. Um, the name change release, those kind of things are a little tougher, but we can certainly uh, make it work. Who was the hardest person for you to come out to? You know, my wife was was definitely the hardest. Um, beyond that, though, my kids, you know, that's a, another, they're all very young, which is helpful. Um, but it's something that as I talked to my therapist and talked through some of that, that was my biggest fear was that I would mess my kids up for life, you know, which is absurd to think about, like, you know, having two moms or, you know, even just a transition is going to, the kids are so resilient. Um, and we also know how to put our kids in therapy. So it's, you know, that's helpful as well. Um, but I think that was still scary just in, in the fact that you don't know how they're going to react. And my therapist said to me when I was having these conversations with her, just give them the chance, give them the chance to defend you, to, you know, react well. And they did. I mean, they, they're super resilient. Uh, my wife drew this amazing picture. I wish I had it. Um, I think it's on my Instagram feed and it, it basically was like, you know, a little stick figure of a woman and a man. And like, these are bodies. And then we have identities over here and these lines that like went across and down, you know, some people don't match up. And, um, the oldest two at the time were eight and nine. And they were like, okay, I, you know, we understand. And the younger uh, two and actually my youngest wasn't born when I came out to them but the younger two were just like whatever you know they don't <laughs> they didn't care mm-hmm. uh, so I think you know for them still having a loving parent and a parent who listens and talks to them that's all they really care about mm-hmm. uh, and so it was hard but then it, it became very easy very quickly um, and you know my extended family that's a whole nother story um which i can get into certainly um but those were the hardest those two for mm-hmm. sure yeah family is is the next question so how did that go with um with your immediate family and then the kind of extended family yeah so um so my wife and kids were great um and i i came out to them probably three years ago um two and a half I, i'm not really sure uh, but Two years ago, this week, actually, the 22nd, I, I wasn't planning on coming out. I'd been on hormones. I wasn't socially transitioned. I was not planning on coming out. And I got on uh, line late in, in the day one day, and I saw that the president had done something to uh, reverse protections for trans people. And if you look back October 22nd, two years ago, you can find out what it was. I don't even remember what it was. Um, but I got online and, and all of my friends on Instagram who were trans and 
this wonderful community were speaking out and speaking up. And I just, I was sad that I, I didn't feel like I could advocate for myself or for the rest of the community because I, I wasn't being authentic. And um, I also had this weirdly naive hope that if my family, my family of origin, my extended family knew that I was trans, they wouldn't accept this, you know, this type of thing that the president was doing. And it was just naive of me to think that. But um, so I kind of hurriedly, it, it wasn't hurried, it was thought out, but it was, I wasn't planning on it. I emailed my parents and my brother and sister um, and in one fell swoop, just basically told them what was going on. Um, told them I was trans and, you know, right away they all responded with, we love you. Um, you know, we don't really know what to say, but we love you. We'll talk more later, which was good. I, you know, that's what you hope for when you come out to family and um, it felt, it felt good at the time. Uh, but then immediately the next day, it was very clear that um, they were happy that I had come out to them because in the evangelical environment, being transgender is seen as a sin. And, you know, if, if anybody who's watching is religious at all, you want to get your sins out in the light so that we can destroy them. And so I think they were happy that I had come out so we could deal with this issue. Um, but then didn't realize, no, that's not really why I'm coming out to you all. So, um, so it went downhill fairly quickly after that. Um, and that was two years ago this week. You know, I haven't talked talking talked to my sister for 18 months. Um, relationship with my parents is non-existent. My brother is the one uh, I still have a relationship with. Um, so it's it's not great. Um, we have a ton of extended family in town, and most of them, you know, don't talk to us anymore. So um, it's just unfortunate that religion tells people that they need to alienate family in order to be correct. Well, yeah, especially when you really think about it and being transgender, being part, being LGBT is not a choice. Like that's how we we're born. This is, you know, something we have to deal with. It's, it's who we are. Religion is a choice. You choose your religion, you choose your, your faith and, and what, what to believe. Like there, there are myriad religions out there and within them, um, different variations and different interpretations and it's just kind of interesting to he hear that there's so much you know um, adversity for transgender people and LGBT people LGBT people when it comes to religion and you know I just I was just thinking of that that strange dichotomy of that this week yeah it's odd and I mean we I came out uh my wife and I were leaders at our church um, when we came, when I came out a year plus ago, a year and a half ago. And, you know, it was this, we accept you, we support you. Um, but then the actions didn't really line up with that. And so we ended up leaving. Um, and it was just an unfortunate situation that could have been avoided if, you know, my wife and I have been in the evangelical faith for, our whole lives. And I think we understand um, the story of Jesus in a way that would say love wins out. And, um, and, and that's part of why we created love in the face too, was to help the religious community 
and people who are in who are LGBTQ and are in their religious community still and struggling with that and um, maybe being accepted but not really. And so we we want to talk to uh, pastors and preachers and teachers and churches, leaders and churches, and help them understand that the Bible can be read a lot of different ways, and that love is the dynamic that um, Jesus showed in the Bible, and that's what we want to help people, you know, go towards. So, um, yeah, it's just it, it was a, a interesting circumstance that I would say alienated me from ever going back to church again. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so um, you were both big parts of your church at the time, right? We were, yeah. I was. Um, we were both um, what was called discipleship leads, and so we were um, doing some different things in that realm as far as helping people understand their own faith. And really, my wife was doing the bulk of the work. She was preaching every other week at our church. So, I mean, it was a progressive church, women preaching, and... Um, Ultimately, what happened was, it, from my perspective, um, no, no one ever wants to seem like a transphobe. You know, it's one of those things that you don't want to be labeled a transphobe. And so nobody really said that being trans was wrong, but they took it out on my wife who was preaching and said, what you're preaching is wrong. And um, it just kind of devolved and, you know, without getting into it too much, it just was a situation that we couldn't stay in any longer. Mm -hmm. um, and so we had to leave. That's unfortunate. The place that you look for, look to for support and community and love and all of that and, and guidance turns against you. That's so Yeah. And it, and it was, you know, it's one of those deals where the church, uh, we, we were going through the hardest time of our life. And in our marriage, it was the hardest thing that we'd ever had to go through. And um, it would have not been that hard if the, if religion hadn't piled on top. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, we, I, I look at that and then I look at our, my work setting and as the human resources director, it was a stark contrast because I was able to say to my boss, I'm trans and he is a good, he's a really good leader. And he said, I don't know what to do. Um, and this is, this would be my advice for all leaders out there when you find yourself in this situation, because you will find yourself in this situation in the next five years if you haven't already. He said, you tell me what to do. <laughs> and so I was able to kind of lead the way on that. And that helped my experience tremendously. I, you know, it's so much easier mm -hmm. um, when I'm able to write communications and, and take charge of my own story. Yeah, that's such a unique, perspective is such a unique uh, position to be in for someone who's trans like you know usually we're we're trying to come out to an HR department that similar to what what you said with your boss that is unfamiliar that hasn't dealt with the situation yet some are lucky that that there's have but you actually have the unique ability to shape those policies and make the decisions for how the company should treat these sort of situations what what sort yeah, of things I, have you been able to to do specifically with that power? Well, you know, I I'm honestly not real good at um, having written policy in place. We have an organization of about 730, and um, our policies were pretty neutral as it was, which was really good. You know, we didn't have real strict like gender dress code policies or anything like that. So 
you know, we had looked at some of that stuff before and kind of eliminated, eliminated some of that. Um, and our operations manager also does an excellent job of making sure there's like, you know, gender neutral restrooms available all, all over our buildings and things like that. So we had a lot of that stuff in place already. Um, so it was really more about figuring out, okay, and honestly, one of the reasons why I ended up coming out at work when I did was I just had this thought of like, if I wait and somebody else came out to me first, I would be disappointed that I didn't have this all ready for them because I, I need to do this. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I basically went through and, you know, have all these different systems that you're using and all these different, um, you've got an employee badge and all these different places where your name shows up. Um, and so just had to go through and go, okay, these are all the different things we need to do. And what things do we have to have a legal name change for? Are there, is there anything that we have to have a legal name change for um, in order to change a name and, and kind of go through those pieces and, mm-hmm. um, and find out really what the protocol is, especially if somebody wants to come out slowly. Um, it didn't really have that luxury just because I was so visible, but if somebody wants to come out slowly, how do we do that? And what's the communication like? And so making sure all those things are in place, you know, after me now, um, I think is really nice to be able to, to utilize, uh, going forward. And, and there's a, a project here in town in, in Des Moines, Iowa called the transition forward project. Um, and, uh, a friend of mine at the software company Dwala started that. And it's, it's, if any company has questions about policies and procedures, they can get on transition forward, uh, I think.org. And, it is something that is super helpful if you are from, you know, going from zero knowledge and policies of this kind of stuff. And it will give you just about everything you need in terms of a written policy and information and things to think about. And, you know, you can get into stuff where you're going above and beyond and asking uh, pronouns on applications, you know, hiring wise and stuff like that. And so there's just a lot of things to consider when somebody comes out at work. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense, though, that one of the first and key things to do is just figure out the plan for the the, the steps. If it's, you know, full transition and all that or kind of something, something slower, it's awesome that you jumped on that and thought, OK, we need to have these these procedures down so we know when somebody comes out, this is what we got to do. That's great advice for employers. Do you have any advice for the employees that are coming out, how to approach that conversation? Yeah, I think it's, you know, it's very different in in different industries and different states. Um, I have friends here in town who work in very blue collar, you know, education is a very white collar environment um, for the most part. Um, I have friends in in blue collar environments where it's much tougher to come out and do it, you know, in one fell swoop. But I think the advice that I would give to anybody is find those people in your organization that have influence and power who you know are going to be accepting um, and start there. You know, it doesn't have to be the HR person. If the HR person is a curmudgeon you know, person who is not going to accept you as a trans person, don't start with HR. Start with somebody who's going to accept you and can, can be on your side. Um, and if there's nobody like that in your organization, start looking because it's, it's going to be much easier. If you're going to come out, it, it's much easier to start new if you can. And I know in this environment, it's a little tough with COVID and everything, but it's it's tough if you cannot find that ally, that at least one ally for yourself in an organization. Mm-hmm. And I've also heard of people that 
find other like-minded people, other LGBT people within the company and start uh, basically sort of a, a coalition, just a support group. And then once they have numbers there and they, they're uh, not even it's a support group, that's, that might be the wrong term, just, just a group where they can get together and chat. And once you have the numbers, you know, you build kind of build that up, then you can go to HR or to some of the managers in your company and start affecting policy when you say, hey, we've got these numbers. This is something that we need. Yeah. And that's, you know, if you're in an organization of any size, you usually can can work that out and find that if you're in a smaller organization or just an uber conservative organization, it might be tougher to do that. Um, and again, you know, you have a decision to make at that point. Do you want to come out in that type of environment or do you want to go to a different environment? Or, you know, do you just not want to come out at your workplace, which is really tough for those who know and have live that dual life for any amount of time. It's very hard to segment, you know, over here, one thing and over here, one thing. And I know, I know even on my, for my spouse, that was really hard for her for the longest time when I was out in this setting, but not in this setting. And, mm -hmm. you know, she had to kind of remember which pronouns, which name and all of that as well. And so it, it becomes difficult when you start to juggle that stuff. Um, but yeah, allies, uh, support, if you have people who are in the LGBT community, that's where to start for sure. What has been your level of acceptance in the, your local community, and how would you have you dealt with any kind of adversity there? Yeah, I you know I really haven't. Um, I was talking with a, a friend the other day who's also a trans woman, and um, she's been out for five years. Um, we live. I live just outside of the Des Moines, Iowa area. Mm. Um, so it's the capital, it's more liberal, but I'm 10 minutes south and, you know, neighbors have conservative, uh, uh, conservative political signs and Confederate flags. Um, so, you know, it's, wow. it's a stark contrast. Yeah. And so I, I think I've never encountered anything overtly, um, overtly hateful. Um, you know, just the stairs and that sort of thing, which I think many of us get no matter where we are. Mm -hmm. um, but it's been an interesting environment because Iowa is fairly conservative. Um, but the community here is pretty robust. Um, there's a great pride organization here in town. And we have a trans support group that meets uh, weekly here in town. So a lot of people who are um, out and open and the downtown and that community itself, very easy to, you know, get around in, no problems. Mm. Um, and even in my community, which is smaller, um, I haven't had any issues. So, you know, it's ideology is one thing. And then if people aren't usually ready to be super hateful in, in Iowa, where Iowa nice is a thing. <laughs> so uh, mm. people usually stick to that, but you know, there are certainly exceptions even here. Mm -hmm. Did you have any support from people that you weren't expecting? Yeah, for sure. You know, I learned really quickly that there's no way to judge how someone's going to react. And so I just had, you know, I, I think it was the third or fourth uh, family member that I told I was very, very certain that they would be not accepting. And they were, they just emailed me back and said, that's great, you know, and have been kind and loving toward me and, you know, I've had it happen in reverse um, as well. So I think I learned really quickly just to drop expectations when coming out to people because 
you know, just projecting on them what I think they're going to do didn't serve me any purpose. It just served to confuse me in those conversations more than anything. How far along would you say you are in your journey and what are your goals for going forward? I don't, like I said, I, I'm one kind of one step at a time uh, in my transition. Um, started on hormones a couple of years ago, at surgeries and stuff like that, you know, that kind of stuff I talk, talk, we'll talk with my wife about as we need to do that kind of stuff, as I feel the need to do that kind of stuff. Um, and every everything, you know, that I've done so far, I've said before that, I don't know that I need that. And so, you know, I get to that point and I'm like, oh, I do need that. So I don't know that I can answer that for sure. Yeah. Um, I'm definitely still in transition mode and um, don't feel like I'm done transitioning, but I don't know uh, how far along I am because I, my goal is to stop when I am able to and, and feel like that's what I can do. What were some of the key fears or roadblocks that you've run into in your transition and how have you overcome those? Out of the gate, there was this, there was definitely a fear of um, like being overtly ostracized from just life in general. And that didn't play out. So it was, you know, it was easy to get over that when you, um, you know, I, I posted a meme today about going into Target and getting stared at, you know, and if you're transitioning and you're going, you know, more toward the binary ends, you're always going to be in an awkward spot somewhere. Um, mm. And, and you may not like that, but um, it happens. And, you know, those kind of things, people stare and, and people don't understand. And um, I, I heard a quote um, today that said, ignorance is, uh, ignorance is bliss was created by the oppressor. Um, and so, I mean, people are just ignorant and they don't know. And, and I have a story about meeting with some um, Congress people in Iowa um, uh, and kind of about just their lack of understanding, which I can talk to you about as well. But I was scared that I was going to get beat up in the street because that happens, you know, it happens. Yeah. Um, and, and, and that fear was overcome when it didn't happen. You know, it hasn't happened yet. Um, and so that was kind of number one was physical safety. Um, the second fear was losing my family. Um, and I think that's a, a constant thing that I've had to overcome uh, because I have lost my my parents, my sister, um, and really I, you know, ha worried from the beginning that I was going to lose my wife and my kids and all of that, and that happens as well, uh, as many people know and experience. And so, um, trying to balance that, I I need to be me and I want to be me, and I I don't want to not be me for the sake of being scared of losing my family. Um, that, that's hard. And uh, fortunately my wife is a good communicator and I think it's been, it's made it easier for sure. Um, so that, that was, that was a big thing that, you know, definitely lessens with time uh, as time goes on. And I, you know, I understand that we're still together and um, obviously that can always change, but um, the groove that we've kind of hit um, is, is good. Um, I think the other thing that, uh, is a is a fear is just losing myself in the process um and i i think there's a real uh possibility of that especially again when 
you are moving toward a binary like I am, and there are certain expectations of people who are uncomfortable around you um, and want you to do things a certain way to fit into that binary. And so I do feel like there's a real opportunity every day to lose myself and to do something to meet someone else's expectation instead of my own expectation for myself. Mm -hmm. Um, and, And I just think like, you know, passing in public is a perfect example. Like, sometimes I just want to pass because I don't want to have to think about it. You know, it's easier if you can, if you can not think about it all the time. But at the same time, like if I'm putting on makeup because I feel like someone else's expectation of me is uncomfortable because they hear my deeper voice and they don't, you know, see what they think is a woman and it's going to make them uncomfortable. Is that for me? Is me putting on that makeup for me or is it for them? And so I have to constantly evaluate that. And I do have a, 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 I don't know if it's a fear necessarily, but it's a constant evaluation of, is this for me or is this for someone else? Yeah, that's an amazing perspective. And one I haven't thought of that sort of like bell curve that you you go through where like you break away from that binary and and discover yourself and and do everything that you want to do and all that. But then as you get closer and closer to that other side, the other binary, you start to fall into some of those same, same habits of just fall, just falling in line with what the expectations are. Yeah. And it's super easy because, you know, again, it's, it's a constant, it seems like it can be a constant struggle to be a trans person in America. And so just blending in sometimes feels really nice. It feels really safe. It feels really normal. And so I think a lot of that is for my own peace of mind. But then at the same time, you know, I'm not going to dress a certain way that you think I should dress. And, you know, I, I um, was talking with my wife about this because every time I get dead named by a family member, the first thought in my mind is what did I do that did not convey the feminine image that I want this person to see that they messed this up. Well, that's, that's not a great thought process. It's not my fault that they can't understand how to use my legal name. <laughs> like mm-hmm. it, it's, it's on them. Their, their mind needs to change. And just because they can't put me in this box anymore, doesn't mean that I should fit into this, their other box in order for them to stop calling me that name. Yeah. And so that's something I think I've had to realize over time. you know, when I've been dead named by family members and, just have gone, Oh, what, what am I doing? You know, what can I do to be more feminine, project this different image? And, and it's like, no, that's not my responsibility. I'm going to do what I want to do and they should respect me and use my name either way. So you've mentioned, um, I'm not sure. Uh, I think I've just seen it in a couple places, basically that you pass a fair bit of the time these days. Do you still struggle with dysphoria then? Are there, are there things that still are giving you kind of those those dys- dysphoric moments, those moments of pause because, ah, oh, I'm not, you know, whatever? Absolutely. <laughs> 100%. Yeah. And I don't know. I mean, for those who have transitioned and feel like they're, you know, where they want to be, I, I don't know how much that stuff goes away, <laughs> you know, entirely. But certainly, um, you know, coming on talking to you, like my voice is, is a dysphoric thing and dealing with that. Um, is something that is a struggle 
but at the same time, you know, if I were to get voice surgery, is it for me or is it, it which is good if it's for me, but it, I don't want it to be for other people, you know? So I do have to continue to weigh that and dysphoria is a piece of that. You know, I have to see how much is this actually, this dysphoria itself coming from my uncomfortability with myself or my uncomfortability with somebody else's projection of what I'm supposed to be. Yeah. And that's a hard thing to like tweeze out sometimes um, or tease out. Uh, it's just, you know, society, we're in society and society is telling us to do something in particular a lot of times. And um, so is it the, that expectation that's pushing on me and making me feel bad about myself or is it really, you know, genuine dysphoria that I can, you know, remedy with this certain thing. So it happens, it happens a lot. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, I certainly, my voice is a big one, you know, get called sir all the time um, on the phone. Um, I think, you know, in public, it, it's just funny because like I, I, you know, long hair, I like long hair. I want to have long hair. Um, I also think that I should have the right to cut my hair and still be called ma'am, you know? So it's, it's kind of one of those things that uh, I, I won't do right now. Cause I, I, I like long hair, but at some point I might want to cut it and it will bring back some of that dysphoria, you know, when people start to misgender and stuff. So I don't know. That makes a lot of sense. And, and I think the voice is kind of one of the, the key pieces for a lot of people, especially like, yeah, there's, when there's those environments where you just can't seem to pass, you know, when you, when you blend in and you're, as you said earlier, when you're seen as the person you want to be, but then every once in a while there's just those situations where um, just bam, you're, you're not, it, it, it's, it's, um, it's disjointed and, and it's kind of jarring, right? Yeah, my wife gets super frustrated or not frustrated. She just always forgets. She can't talk to me in the restroom. And we go in the restroom and she's chatting and I'm just like, <laughs> not saying anything. And then we go out of the restroom. She's like, oh yeah, I forgot. You won't say anything to me in the restroom. And I'm like, yeah, I'm not going to say anything to you in the restroom over the stall. <laughs> like, I'm just not going to do that. When you were growing up or when you started to transition, did you have um, a mentor or a, or maybe like a close confidant that you found? You know, I think the online community was the best thing that I had found. Um, it, as I started to express myself differently, I kind of had a persona that I put online um, and kind of started getting engaged with um, Queer, queer people, trans people, uh, people of all types and um, in the community. And I think that was just helpful to see that. Um, that visibility is so huge when you feel so isolated. And I, I was the first, I mean, I'll admit, I was the first trans person that I knew in person. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's always a weird thing because you, if you don't have that mentor in person, it is you know, it's hard. And so I think the people online are helpful, especially those who are willing to engage. Um, and that's why, you know, also why we started Love in the Face, because um, I reached out to people who I saw and was watching and you have kids and you're married and you're doing this. And um, I reached out to people and people responded and, you know, you know, said things to me like, yeah, this is tough, but here's what I've done. And um, so I didn't have anybody, one person in particular, but uh a lot of 
just a big amalgam of people online that were super supportive. That's wonderful. Yeah, it's so important to find that community and, and start to find that support. How did you choose your name? Um, so Nia is uh, a, der- a derivation, a derivative of my old name. And I, you know, I, as I thought about a new name, I, I had kind of that persona that had a name and it just didn't feel like me. Um, and as I thought about it, I have my, my mantra in life has, has been to transcend what has been and include it in my, you know, going forward. Um, and I think that is what motivated me to take a part of my old name and, and use it here. Um, because, you know, as much as that person, you know, I'm not using that name. I, I, I came from that person. And, um, so yeah, I, that's how I chose it. And, um, it's a family name and I wanted to keep that as well. Yeah. Always nice when you can maintain the family tie in and, and include them in some way. I think it, it, yeah, it goes I, a long I, way to, to helping ease that for them and, and bring them in and hopefully get their acceptance. Yeah, unfortunately, it, it worked in reverse um, for me, but uh, they, they weren't happy that I did that. But I did, <laughs> you know, I was kind of using this name and I, I wasn't, I hadn't changed my name legally or anything and I, I was using it and I went to a conference and I met a woman and you know, introduced myself and she was like, Oh, Nia, that's, that's so great. It's, you know, Swahili for purpose. Hmm. And I was like, Oh, that's amazing. I, I did not even know that I was, you know, had this other, um, my, my full name was longer than that. And so I'm like, that's it. That's amazing. I love that. So. Oh, that's awesome. Nice little bonus that you get from, from having that name. I love that. Does including your former name into your current name give you a a piece of your old self to kind of carry through with you to your new life and sort of help on that, that bell curve we were talking about as you feel yourself trying to fit into the binary, you've got that kind of reminder of yourself. Yeah. You know, I think it does. And I, I I know it can work both ways for people too, who don't want to be reminded of that. Um, but I, you know, I don't know that I see myself as two separate people, you know, before and after I started transitioning. Um, you know, I have conversations. That one of the first conversations I had with my brother was, you know, do you still like the Chiefs, you know, the, the football <laughs> team? And I'm like, yeah, I, I don't. I didn't just like all of a sudden stop liking the things that I liked um, and being the person that I was being. Yeah, maybe some of those things I was putting on because I thought I had to. Um but a lot of them are, you know, are me. And so I think it did, it did for me help to, it helps to maintain that through line. And uh, on that other side of that bell curve, always remember what is me and what is not me? What is the expectations from society? And, and what is something that I want to do to move forward? So I do think it does help me with that. What advice do you have for young and closeted trans people? What's kind of the, the, the key nuggets of advice that you've gained over your experience? So first of all, I think, you know, coming out is a, is a big deal. And, you know, doing that when you're ready is super important, not on somebody else's timeline. And I, you know, I've been, I'm, I'm 38. I had moments coming out that I did it on other people's timeline because um, they asked me to, and, and it ha- had I, were I to do it again, I wouldn't do that. Um, you know, it, it's something that's very personal. Either, you know, you might not want to come out or you might want to come out and people are stopping you. 
And I, I think it's a very personal thing. And so making sure that's on your timeline is important. Um, also, I think, like I mentioned earlier, finding that at least one person who is going to be your champion is super important. If you're um, out, if you're not out, whatever it is, uh, finding that safe space uh, to begin with is, is super important. Um, that community of people. Um, I know for me, um, one of the things that goes the longest way to helping me remember who I am and um, helping me feel like I fit in even um, is a group of women that have come alongside me and just supported me 100% uh, for the last couple of years and just awesome people um, always in my corner, never, you know, question me about anything, which is great. And, um, and they're just amazing people. And so just having that support group of people, um, it, it, find one, find f five, 10, um, I think is the biggest piece. Um, and then just knowing, you know, no matter what you're feeling, uh, what dysphoria you're feeling, what emotions you're feeling at any given time that you do belong, um, you belong to yourself, you belong to the world and you belong to a community of people. Um, even if you don't see them in front of you. Um, so yeah, you belong is, is a big thing that I would, would say. As someone who's an advocate in a community that, um, you know, doesn't have a great track record of supporting LGBT. What is some of the advice that, or, or what are some of the approaches that you have in talking to those people? What What do you say to them to start to open up the conversation and open their minds to to these new ideas? Yeah, uh, first of all, I'll say sometimes nothing um, because uh, my sister is a good example of this. She cut off relationship with me very early and started writing articles about uh, being trans and how uh, it was ruining the fabric of society and things like that. And for me, um, I have a couple boundaries with my family and, and really the main one is call me by my name if you want to be in relationship with me. And that's not, not being honored. Um, but for my sister, she's just not interested in relationship anyway. And so for me to enter into those conversations with somebody like that is not, not helpful for my psyche. Um, so for a person like that, who's really not interested in the conversation, nothing. I, I mean, I just won't have the conversation. And if they want to come to me and really have the conversation, they'll do that. And I, I certainly will. And so those people who, who want to come to me, um, it, it's different. Uh, we had, the opportunity to talk to some senators and, and uh, reps in Iowa here. And it was a really eye-opening experience. And, and it's what I would say going forward, how I would, would try to do it. Um, so we had a, we have a bill, uh, we have a law in Iowa. Um, we are pretty progressive. We've had a law protecting gender identity from housing discrimination, from employment discrimination on the books for um, 14 years, 14 ish years. And, this last legislative session, there was a law that was introduced to try to strike that out of our Iowa civil rights law. So it protects religion, race, you know, all this other stuff and gender identity. They tried to strike gender identity out of there. And I got frustrated and I emailed the 12 people who sponsored this bill and I said, hey, I would love to talk with you because I, I'm an Iowan. I'm a constituent and what you're doing is harmful to me. 
And I had three people take me up on that. And my wife and I went and met with those three um, representatives. And it was shocking how ignorant around trans issues they were. Um, they were making a law based on their religion. It, it had nothing to do with trans people. It was essentially, we think this is good for our religion to do this. And for me to sit there and explain to them, which I have the capacity to do, you know, I, I feel like I have the, the margin to give to something like this. And so I want to say that not everybody has this kind of margin to, um, to do this. And also if you are having to defend yourself, that feels different too. Mm -hmm. Um, so we went into this, not really knowing what we were going to get into. Um, but I do know that if they would have been really combative with us and, and we would have been on the defense, we would have probably shut the conversation down pretty quickly. Um, but they were open and receptive. And so I think just then talking to them about things that they didn't know about was super helpful. You know, we, we talked about, um, when I go into the restroom, I am the one that is nervous. Like cis women aren't scared of me. I am the one that is scared of getting the cops called on me. You know, I, I'm scared of all these things. We talked about trans men. You know, if, if you want to put a bathroom law, which many of these states are trying to enact, where you have to go to the bathroom of your um, gender assigned at birth, like trans men are going to be in the women's restroom. And trans men are very masculine. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like, I, and they said to me, oh, we don't, we didn't even, like, what are trans men? Like, we didn't even know about trans men. And it's just mind blowing that these people are making laws. Uh, and not considering this stuff, but it, it's, I, I think, informative for them. Um, and so much so that we had one of the, the gentlemen ask us over for dinner. And so we went over for dinner and talked more about stuff because he, he thought we were just an anomaly because we're married. We had kids, you know, we had faith, like all these things that he didn't, he never would put with a trans person. And, um, you know, my wife said to, it said to them when we left, our goal is just to help you understand that we are people. We're everyday people. We just want to live and, and not be harassed. We want to live our life. And we hope that the next time you sponsor a bill like this, you will see our faces first. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, again, that is, that is kind of the uh, uh, part of what, what is behind love in the face. You know, love in the face of some of that um, stuff. And I, again, not everybody has the margin to do that. Um, a lot of us too, you know, we, when we talked to those senators, we said they, they were upset because they were getting hate mail about this bill that they had authored. Mm -hmm. And my wife said to them, yeah, of course you are. We are on the defensive all the time. We are defending ourselves. Like we are in fight or flight mode all the time because of this kind of stuff. And so, of course, we're going to lash out at you and, like, you know, call you names and write you hate mail because this is frustrating. We're on the defense. And so I do understand that not everybody, like, that's the first reaction for us a lot of times because it's just like, come on. Are you kidding me? Are you – you're going to put this bill into law? It already exists. Why are you going to take it out? Yeah. And But if you have the margin and the ability to stop, take a breath, and try to enter into a rational conversation. I think there are people who are willing to have those. I don't know how much mind gets changed in this day and age, but I do think that just being visible 
is super helpful. And, and being visible in a different way is helpful because I think there's a, a thought from, you know, especially conservative people that, you know, we're just all angry LGBTQ people. And um, no, we just want to live our life. We're angry when you're making laws and we come to the Capitol and tell you how angry we are. Mm-hmm. But I think showing them something different is kind of eye-opening at times too. And, and it, you know, not just for lawmakers, but, you know, especially for neighbors and friends and relatives who don't have as much at stake. And, and you can say like, I, I'm going to love in the face of your bigotry and your, whatever you're throwing at me. Um, sometimes it's not safe for me to do that. So I'm not, I'm just going to walk away. But if I can, I'm going to try to love in the face of hate of some of this stuff. So you can see what it looks like to come face to face with a, just a regular person who's trans, you know, it, it, it can be eye opening for people who haven't had that experience. Well, it's just so funny that these senators um, were so taken aback by getting this backlash in their emails and things like that by not realizing that what they're doing in, in putting forward this bill and supporting it is an attack on transgender people. Like, yes, you're going to get attacked back. Like, it's not them attacking you. You fired the first salvo. Yeah. And there's a thought, I think, of, of you know, see, uh, you know, it, it reinforced the fact that my religion is under attack and that's kind of what they were saying. And it was like, no, it's, it's, it should be reinforcing the fact that you are hurting somebody else in this process. But, you know, just, it's hard to see when you don't know anybody who's trans Mm -hmm. or, you know, I mean, in this case, it was specifically about gender identity. Now let's move on and and talk about the book. We discussed it a little bit in our Um, pre-interview and it, I'll have you go ahead and describe it. And then basically the book sounds like it's, it's a very personal representation of a part of some of your, your therapy and really deep personal exploration. Why was it important to share uh, this part of your story in this way? Just to give you some background on how this book came to be, I do something called um, EMDR therapy, eye movement, sensitization and reprocessing i think it stands for um and essentially what it um how it started was uh for like post-traumatic stress um and you know yeah so it's it's a therapy that um you basically go back and reprocess memories that are triggering to you in some way um and they can be you know major events or they can be little things um one of the ones that i processed was getting lost at the mall when i was like four um and you know it was just a memory that I had that was hanging out there that I would, you know, be reminded of from time to time. And it wasn't super stressful, but it was something that was out there it, hanging in my psyche. So I went back and, and reprocessed it and kind of talked to my little self and made sure that my little self didn't get lost, you know, in that memory. Mm-hmm. And so that's kind of the, the premise behind it. Um, just going back, looking at memories, reprocessing them in a different way that's more positive in terms of outcomes. And so I, I did a lot of this. I talked to my little self a lot and my little self was a little girl self. And I think I, you know, I, I had these positive experiences um, and, and you can do EMDR therapy on your own without a therapist once you kind of know what you're doing. Um, so I had a moment where I was um, actually my wife and I 
you know, 16 years into marriage is the first time we got in a couple's massage for thank, for uh, Valentine's Day. And so we were in this, I was laying on this massage table and just kind of really thinking about my past and processing some memories. And I thought, I wonder if I can go back and think about, you know, even the good memories that I had and process them in a different way. So like my authentic self is in those memories. Mm-hmm. And so I started to do that. And I, you know, I have these memories from um, growing up in my neighborhood and literally again, all these different things that I'm, you know, thinking of some of these things probably wouldn't have happened if I, you know, was uh, a girl growing up, but, you know, just reprocessing those and um, moving, you know, through my life and going up through eight, nine, 10 years old, 11, 12, I got to 13 and I just couldn't do it anymore, which was really odd to me. I, I just was like, I don't know. I don't know what's happening. I don't know why I can't like even like I have tons of memories from 13 to 35, but I just couldn't process them in this way. And so in my mind's eye, I went and I started looking for something because I, I felt like something was missing. And ultimately I found this character who's the central story of a central, central character of the story that I wrote. And I found her, she was locked away and I don't want to give too much of the story away because it, it is a fictional story, but um, I found her and I uncovered her and I sat with her in my real life and I just didn't know what to do with her. And so through a series of kind of events, I, I realized that I needed to process from her point of view because she, she was a part of me. And I, I'd done that with this little character, my, my little self. I'd processed, you know, different things from her points of view, point of view. I'd talked to her as myself in, in some of my processing. But with this new character, I just couldn't figure out what she wanted or like why she, what I was supposed to do with her. And so I started processing from her point of view and what she saw in these encounters with, with me, essentially. Um, and I started writing it down. And so every day I did that for probably 30 or 35 days. And um, it ended up kind of going a way that I didn't expect it to go. Um, And this character kind of discovering who they were was very much in real time to me because it was, it's, it's, she's a part of my psyche. Um, And this all sounds very like multiple personality disorders and stuff, but it's, I can assure you it's totally different than that. Um, It's, it's just, uh, for, for me, it was finding this piece of me that I had locked away and um, I didn't know that I had locked it away. And um, I also didn't know what to do with her when I found her. And so that's really what the story is. It's a story of her, uh, me finding her. Um, it's from her perspective, but, but her being found and then interacting with me and, so, and some other, char- some other characters. And, really realizing who she is through the process. Um, and it's not a, you know, it's a trans specific story. Um, there's nothing like really explicitly trans in it. Um, other than if you're trans, you probably will, will catch on to a few things. Mm. Um, but it is just a story about finding yourself and accepting yourself and going through that process of knowing who you are and understanding that you belong and understanding that not only do you belong, but you are good and that you are, uh, 
you're right and you're meant to be, you know, meant to be here mm-hmm. as, as who you are. And so I think it obviously applies to a, a lot of different situations, not just trans people. But um, so that's really the reason why I, I, I wrote this all down and, and I processed it all. And I felt really good about my own experience and my own life within this. And I just, I read through it a couple of times and I thought, this is, this is bigger than myself. Um, and so I started looking for an illustrator to see if I could kind of make this come to life. And I searched a, a bunch of different ways. And ultimately how I found the illustrator that I'm working with is I searched, I think the hashtag trans artist or something hmm. similar to that on Instagram. And I found about five or six people that I reached out to. And the one that I'm working with, um, I, I basically just asked everybody to read the story and just draw me one one scene. And she just drew this incredible scene that just really spoke to me. And I was like, oh, whoa, that is, that is amazing. And so um, I've partnered with her to, it's basically 51 different uh, illustrations is what we're, we're going after here. Hmm. Uh, 51 little sections of this story. And it's not, it's like not a novel. It's not a graphic novel. It's not a kid's book. It doesn't really fit into a category really well. Um, but it's going to be a story um, of change and of growth and of belonging. And the illustrations are amazing. So um, I definitely would say check it out if you if you are interested in something like that. Yeah, I just put the link in the chat. It's called Story of Nib. And it's uh, that's a bit.ly link, but it, that goes to her Kickstarter for it. And you're very close to your funding, correct? Yeah, we've got I think about eleven hundred some dollars left with uh, forty some hours to go. So uh, about eighty eighty five percent, eighty six percent there almost. So yeah, I think we can do it. Um, and I, I think the book itself is going to be. Um, a pretty amazing thing to to have in your house, and especially if you're trans and have gone through um, the uncovering of who you are in any way. I think it'll be very, uh, it will speak to you for sure. Mm-hmm. Was it incredibly helpful for you? Um, it sounds like like this was a major part of you that you worked through. So, like, did that yeah. really open up a lot for you? It was a therapy breakthrough for sure. And you know, I I, I have therapy. I was having therapy um, every week. And, um, after I got this character out of me and, and wrote this all down, um, it really felt like, okay, I am, I'm ready to go forward. And I don't know that I could tell you like what that shift was, but it just felt like I unlocked the the rest of me, if that makes any sense. So, um, did, it was your, super helpful. Has your wife read it? I mean, that's an obvious question, but um, yeah. did, did that help her in a significant way? Um, yeah, I think it did. And, and she also was one that said like, this is when I started saying, I, I don't know. Um, uh, my personality is, um, very non-self-promoting and to be honest, I reached out to you and, and told you I liked your show. And that's very odd for me to do. Like, I don't, <laughs> I don't self-promote and, um, doing something like this feels very out of character for me, but I do think it's an important thing um, to put into the world. And my wife was very encouraging in that and saying like, I, I read the story and it's amazing and it should be, should be seen by people. And so um, she's been super encouraging about it. And, and same with the group of friends that I mentioned earlier, like 
there all over the promotion of this Kickstarter mm -hmm. and they're just an amazing group of people. And, you know, we have a hundred and 110 or so backers right now. And, um, there's still opportunities to buy the book. Um, you can, you can get a dedication in the book if you want to spend some money as well, um, to somebody who you love. Um, so I, I, I want it to be a community project. You know, I, I don't want it just to be something I put out. Um, again, not, not wanting to like self promote. I don't, I want people to be involved in this and mm -hmm. the artist is amazing. And I would love as many people to have their name in this book as somebody who backed it as possible. Oh, that's wonderful. Yeah. Let's hope um, this, this helps get some of the word out for you. What's it like uh, as an author and a creator to see something that you've put together like this and, and seen in your mind's eye, put so much you know effort into um, brought into life and fleshed out. What's that feel like for you? Yeah, it's pretty incredible. Um, you know, it, it, again, because it's it's so, so, so personal, um, but also it, it, because it's a fiction, you know, it's a fiction thing that I think people can read and not understand how close to my psyche and my soul that this is. So it's it feels a little bit like there's a, a step removed from that. Mm -hmm. uh, but because it, it is so personal to me, it is just an amazing um, thing to watch people who are, whose stories are similar, who know people whose stories are similar, just be super supportive of this kind of a thing. And um, with all of the junk that is going on right now in the world and the political atmosphere and things like that, it's it's amazing to see the support and the love and um, that people want this kind of thing. So yeah, it's, it's pretty incredible. Do you feel that you'll wanna keep this story going, um, you know, or will there be other chapters in the future or is this a complete and contained story? Yeah, I doubt it's complete. Um, it, it feels like it's probably not. Um, I started kind of another piece of it. So there's four, four main characters in the story. Mm -hmm. The main character that was, was kind of uncovered here. And then there was these other three characters as well. So I think, uh, stories from there, the other three point of view, I think are going to be helpful for my own processing. Okay. Um, and we'll see if they, if they turn into anything, but I do, I can see that kind of being, you know, all the different perspectives of the stories coming together, um, in the long run. That's wonderful. Well, we look forward to that and, uh, seeing what you come up with next. Nia, is there anything else that you'd like to promote or anything else you'd like to say about your various projects? If there are things that you don't have to support my project, but if there are things y'all can support and people y'all can support who are creating things to get, you know, stories out into the world, I, I think it's so important. Um, you know, we're seeing more and more of that on TV and movies and things, but um, the more, the more exposure I think we give to other people then in the long run, the better it's going to be for, for all of us. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's definitely a rising tide lifts all boats in this situation yeah. where we all benefit from everybody else's story, everybody else's uh, triumphs and whatever wins that we can get, we, we all benefit from it. Yeah. And I would also say, you know, with love in the face, don't hesitate to reach out. If you have um, <clears throat> loved ones who are struggling with maybe your transition or you are struggling with someone else's transition. Um, you know, we're happy to talk to all of those folks in a non-judgmental way, and just walking people through um, 
what their fears and, and concerns may be about, about them transitioning or somebody in their life transitioning. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Transgender Show from the Transverse Network. Watch the full video version of the show live Tuesday nights at twitch.tv slash thetransverse. And be sure to catch our slate of other great shows there as well. If you love what we're doing and want to support The Transverse, you can do so by visiting patreon.com slash thetransverse.